continue our series today on life in the Spirit. And I want to invite you to take uh, your copy of God's Word, if you will, and open up the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 5. And I want to do something I don't typically do, and that is right out of the gates, I want to read the text, okay? And so if you are physically able to do so, I invite you to stand with me as we read our passage this morning. Uh, Galatians 5, beginning in verse uh, 16, this is what Paul writes. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now remember that, because I'm going to come back to that, okay? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pray with me if you will. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you will speak it into our hearts I pray, Father, that you will take your Holy Spirit, the divine Holy Spirit, and you will take your Holy Word, and, Father, you will use the two of those uh, to transform us. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will right now make our minds keen, that your Holy Spirit will protect our hearts from being distracted or disrupted in any way from the voice of the enemy. And, Lord, would you give us razor-sharp focus to hear what it is that you have to say uh, through your Holy Spirit to our hearts. And Lord, there are people in this place, and there are many who are watching us online, and they need to hear from you today. So God, would you communicate to them? Would you protect their minds from any lies of the devil? And God, would you speak complete and total truth into their hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Uh, now, this passage, in fact, the entire chapter really is a contrast between uh, spiritual victory and uh, spiritual defeat, you might say. It's a diagnostic, uh, so to speak. We kind of break into the middle of the chapter, but the whole chapter is talking about victory that God has given to us, that victory that comes through uh, our relationship with Him, and in particular through uh, the Holy Spirit. And, and He deals at length with this subject that we're all familiar with, and that is this warfare that's going on in our life that warfare between the flesh and the spirit. My guess is everybody in this room would say, I understand that battle. Uh, that battle is real in my life. And so Paul deals with this. Now keep in mind that in the passage, Paul is writing to the church. And what he's doing is he's actually uh, addressing the lack of spiritual power in, in their lives. Have you ever felt like that? Like, God, I know there ought to be more power operating in my life, but it just doesn't seem to be there. Well, he's addressing that. And hopefully today when you leave this place, you can walk out saying, I now, I now have a better understanding what it means to tap into the power source that God has provided, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look on your outline, you've noticed that I have named this Stay in Your Lane. I guess I could have said Stay in Your Lane, bro, but um, but I named it that for this reason. Jesus says there are essentially two lanes in life. He said there's a broad lane, there's a broad way, and he said many people enter on the broad path. He said that's a lane. And he said then there's a narrow lane, and he said few be that find it. But I want to suggest to you this morning, it makes all the difference that you find and live in the right lane. And to live in the right lane is really, there's only one option that Jesus really wants us to understand, and that option is to live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the narrow lane, and it is the lane where we have the assurance that if we walk that path, that Christ will be with us and we will have the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to help us. Now, um, when the Bible speaks of flesh, you see that, uh, that phrase there, the flesh. Our instinct is to take flesh to mean what? Physical bone, you know, marrow, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, uh, now, sometimes it is used that way in the Bible, but most of the time in the New Testament, 
When the word flesh is used, it's a Greek word called sarx, and that word means uh, the actual operating system inside you. You see, in the garden when man fell, it introduced this fallen nature into humanity that has been passed on from age to age and generation to generation. And we call that our fallen nature. It is the part of you that knows how to do the wrong thing without any instruction. You've noticed that about yourself? Nobody has to coach you to do the wrong thing. Nobody has to say, let me train you how to do something wrong. You say, I got that on the backstroke, right? You know what that is? That's your old nature. And that nature has to be redeemed. It has to be changed. That's, in fact, that's the whole reason Jesus Christ came into the world was because we couldn't change that nature, and we still can't. But Jesus came into the world. He dealt with the ramifications of the old nature, and then he, uh, he offered us a better way, as we'll talk about in this message. The better way is, uh, of course, his redemptive work, and then to receive him and allow the Spirit of God to empower us. There's this war that's going on, and it's not going away. I'll talk about it in another message in this series, but it's not going away until we get to heaven. That battle is there, because your enemy, the devil, roams about. He's always trying to undermine what God wants to do in your life, and he wants, you to, uh, he wants to keep you from experiencing the very best that God has for you. Now, you say, well, why? if I already belong to God, why would he do that? Quite simply, he hates God. It's just pure spite. You know, so he doesn't want you experiencing the benefit of what it means to have the power of God operating in your life. And so he's always trying to undermine whatever it is, God. So when we use flesh, in particular in this passage, we're talking about that old you. We're talking about your natural inclination uh, to sin. We're talking about that part of you uh, that makes you the rebel against God that has come down to us from Adam himself. It's your lower, it's the lower part of your nature is what it really is. And it's going to always be there fighting God and fighting the things of God uh, and against the Spirit of God. It's what he says right here. In fact, look again. We're going to use this passage a couple, uh, or this verse a couple of times. But look again at verse 17 there. For the desires of the flesh, okay, that's the operating, the old nature in you, are against the Spirit. That is the nature of God. That, by the way, you receive when Christ comes in. He says, these desires, the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep, listen to this, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, I want to just, I want to suggest something to you this morning. That last statement in verse 17 is very important. This war is going on inside of you. You all know it. You all feel it. Uh, as a believer, if you're, and by the way, if you're not a believer, you, it may not be as pronounced in you because the new nature is not there to fight against the old nature. Does that make sense? But, but, but to those of us who understand this, this kind of tension that goes on there, he, he says something interesting. When I was preparing the message, I'd never really thought about this uh, before. I, I preached Galatians many times over the years of ministry. But he said, this war is going on to try to keep you from doing what you want to do. Now, look at that statement. Underline that statement. Keep it in mind. Because here's what he's saying to us. When Christ comes inside of you, Christ changes your want to. Y'all get that? Look, if you forget everything else, and I hope you won't, but if you forget everything else I've said, you need to remember that statement. When Christ comes into your life, he changes your want to. The things you want to do change. I led a young lady in her early 20s many years ago to Christ. She went on to work for a congressman in Washington, and um, I will never forget as I was talking to her about the Lord, uh, uh, she said to me, but do I have to stop doing the things I like doing? Now, she's a big-time partier. And I have to tell you something. <laughs> I wanted to say Yes. But I said, no, that's not what I'm asking you to do. You say, oh, why would you? And she said, and she did this. I want She sent him off. She went, I don't have to stop doing what I'm doing. She said, you know, I like to party. And she, other things. I said, that's not what I'm asking you to do. And I said, I'm asking you to genuinely put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
And, uh, and she looked at me again, kind of like, this is what angle are you working? I said, that's all. She said, that's all. And I said, that's all. She said, I'm going to have to think about it. She left. Long short of it, this went on for uh, two or three uh, 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 settings where she came to see me. I'd tell her the same thing. And finally she said, but I don't have to stop doing what I like doing. And I said, I'm not asking you. To, I was careful. I said, I'm not, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to genuinely receive Christ. Well, uh, she did. She received Christ. She probably won't ever forget. By the way, still stay in touch with her, hear from her. Uh, she loves God, serves God. She's an attorney and serves God and uh, loves him. But uh, so she prayed the prayer to receive Christ. She trusted him, sincerely prayed. That, that's another part of the story, but I don't have time for and, and so then I did this. I, I started praying, Terry. I said, oh, Jesus, please save her. Because I was afraid she was going to come back and say, hey, this is great, you know. I'm, I'm in Jesus. I'm still doing everything I wanted to do and all that kind of stuff. You've had, have you ever had that fear about somebody, you know, come to Christ and no change in their life? And about two weeks later, she called me. She said, could I come see you? And I said, sure, come see me. She came, sat down in my office, and this is what she said. She said, I, I can't explain something. I said, what's that? And she said, you know all that stuff I was worried about that I wanted to keep doing? She said, you need to explain to me all of a sudden why I don't want to do that stuff. And I have to tell you secretly, I went, and, and she said, because you told me I didn't have to, but she said, now I don't want to. I said, let me tell you why. I said, I told you that because I knew if you genuinely trusted Christ, he would change your want to. Folks, listen, if your want to hasn't been changed, you need to ask yourself, have I been saved? Because that's what Paul said. He said, there's this conflict going on, and, and it causes me, the, the, the evil side, the dark side, the, the demonic, the devilish side, fights against what God has done and tries to make me do things that I don't want to do anymore. It's so true. I recently had a conversation with a woman who said this to me. She said, Pastor, my flesh is just so strong. And I said to her, I said, you bet it is. Flesh is tough stuff. And it is strong. Uh, but frankly, it's not difficult to discern. Did you see Paul even tells us here that we may not like to admit that our lives are characterized by flesh so often, but Paul says in verse 19 that we can recognize the flesh. Look at your Bible there. He says, but the, uh, he says now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he takes it a step further. He, he categorizes them. Now, I'm going to tell you why he categorizes In fact, let me give you three categories he puts them in. Number one, sexual sins. And this is not an all-inclusive list, and so if, especially in a highly charged sexual culture, if you say, well, I don't see in the culture some of the things that concern me. This isn't an all-inclusive list, but he starts with sexual sins, immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are all sexual uh, sins, all right? And he's saying it's pretty easy to understand. These are sin. But then he moves, secondly, to spiritual sins. That's the second category. He says idolatry, sorcery, enmity, dissensions, division. He's talking about the internal kinds of sin that work their work in our, our life. Sexual sins are, are manifested in, how, uh, in behavior, but then there's uh, spiritual sins that a lot of times are hidden. You know, we don't have to really declare some of the spiritual sins that are happening in our life. But I'll tell you this, I bet you know them. And then he gives a third category, social sins. Envy, drunkenness, orgies. Did you see that in verse 21? And that's a third kind of category. So sexual sins and spiritual sins and then uh, social sins out there. Now, what is he doing here? Why is he categorizing them? Here's what I think Paul is doing. He's trying to show us it doesn't matter what category of sin. That sin separates us from the life that God has designed us for. Sin. So whether it's sexual sin, whether it is spiritual, internal sins, whether it is social sins, what he is saying to us is that um, the flesh is represented in all facets uh, in our life. Now, in weeks to come, we're going to talk about the manifestation of, of spiritual fruit, not today. But uh, uh, this causes us to ask a question. Why is there so much defeat 
why is there so much defeat instead of spiritual victory? Now, I can just say this definitively. Jesus did not die on a cross so that the flesh could win in your life. He he did not die so that the flesh could win. Jesus died on a cross because your flesh had to be dealt with and the sins uh, of your life had to be dealt with. He died so that you could be a conqueror. And yet, why is it? Have you ever thought, why, why don't we see more of the power of God moving among us? We all believe in the power of God. We'll talk about the power, but we just don't see as much of the power of God moving. There's a movement that began really probably about a decade ago called the One Cry Movement. And it's really about bringing renewal, the power of the Spirit of God, the renewal to the church of God. It is concerned about the lack of real spiritual power in our lives and in our churches. And they have a preamble uh, that kind of describes And I think it really answers the question of why there's so much defeat in the church and so much defeat among believers. Listen to to how their preamble uh, goes. It says, with heavy hearts, we recognize that the church in America is in a state of spiritual emergency. Like the church is warned in Revelation, we have become lukewarm and compromised, and the light of our witness has grown, grown dim. Then listen, we confess that despite access to more resources and biblical teaching than any group of believers in history, we are still not characterized by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that telling? That with all the resources we have, with all the preaching we have, with all the Bible teaching uh, we have, and we do, we have so much. When I was growing up in ministry, I would have never imagined that we would have had access just physically to the kinds of Bible studies we have, to the kind of Bible study groups we have. I would not have imagined that the internet would have brought to us a plethora of all kinds of of resources. I mean, you can go online and you can find out and learn just about anything you want uh, biblically, some of it good, some of it bad, by the way. So you have to be discerning about that. I'd have never thought we'd have access to this. And yet the church, the church in America, I'm afraid, is missing the one thing it needs most, and that is the characteristic power of the Holy Spirit upon it. Erwin Lutzer One of my favorite uh, authors and a former pastor writes, and he says, we need to ask some hard questions. Listen to this. Why do so few of our churches see members being delivered? uh, Why do so few of our churches not see members being delivered from addictions? Why is it that so few of our churches do not see marriages being restored? Why is it so that uh, many of our churches do not see wayward children being brought back to the family of God? He asked those probing questions, and when I was reading that, I thought, you know, we do need to ask those questions. Why are we not seeing more of the supernatural? The same Holy Spirit that energized the New Testament church is the Holy Spirit that is to energize us, and he is, he is not restricted in his power unless we are the ones that restrict his power. He tells a story, Luther does, about a friend in Germany, and this friend uh, decided there was a church Um, that was going to have a handbell concert. Have any of you ever heard a handbell concert kind of thing at church? And uh, we used to have a handbell choir here years ago, and they would from time to time bless us. And it's really cool, and it takes a lot of skill and that sort of thing. And uh, Luther said he had a friend, and the friend went to to a handbell concert uh, at this uh, local church. And uh, said about uh, they, they're up there, you know, the bells are all sitting out, and you know, you know, you wear the gloves and you know, pick, pick up the different bells and this kind of stuff. And he said, so the concert is pro- progressing right along, and then all of a sudden, he says, about halfway through the concert, there's a man who walks in, and he is ob- obviously intoxicated, and he walks down to where the tables are, uh, where the bells are sitting, and he just reaches out. And he takes hold of the cloth, and he yanks it off of the bell table. And the bells tumble over, and, uh, you know, and it looks like absolute chaos. The bells are everywhere, some on the floor, some are... And the problem is, though, nothing happened to the music. The bells just kept on playing. Even though they're scattered all over the place, 
Do you know why that happened? Because the bell choir wasn't really playing the bells. The music had been pre-recorded. They were doing a little, some of you remember Millie Vanilli. They were just kind of uh, faking the whole deal. And so when the, when the tablecloth was pulled, it had no effect. The sound kept going through the entire um, uh, church and concert. You know what was going on? They were, go, they were simply playing the motions. And so as long as everything wasn't disturbed, everything seemed to be all right. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is it possible that we see so little movement of the Spirit's power in our lives, in the church, among people that we are praying for? Is it possible that we're just going through spiritual motions? We're making a kind of music that doesn't even require the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible makes it crystal clear. You cannot live in victorious power and try to live in two different lanes. Jesus made it clear. He said, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. So you can't say, well, I'm going to run in this lane, and sometimes I'm going to run in this lane. If you, it is devoid of power. And then you remember Joshua told the children of Israel, he says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether you will serve the gods of your father or uh, Jehovah God. What is the point in all of that? We repeatedly see, we see it in the New Testament, we see it in the New Testament church, the distinctive difference in them was that they had learned to surrender control of their life to the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you three things this morning. The first I want you to see is found in verse 16 and verse 25, and it is our specific exhortation. It is the exhortation to walk by the Spirit. You see that in verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then jump down, if you will, to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, let me just uh, 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 help you understand the ideas being expressed in both of those uh, words. There are two different Greek verbs being used, verse 16 and verse 25. And those Greek verbs denote uh, characteristics of our walking in the Spirit. For example, the the verb that's used in um, uh, verse 16, I say walk um, by the by the Spirit, is a word in the Greek that describes the manner by which we walk. The manner by which we walk. Have you ever seen somebody in your family, and if you watched them, let's say walk, they walk like you do physically. They have the same physical kind of markings, the same kind of gait, or that sort of thing. Maybe you've noticed that. It may be some other area physically, but when you look at them, you say, you can see that that obviously came from them. My wife has told me, as I've gotten older, she said, you walk like your father walked. Well, I never thought about that. It just comes instinctively. It's in my genes, right? And so that's the idea here. There's a manner. Everybody has a manner. We don't all walk the same. We don't run the same. You know, we have a gait uh, that characterizes uh, us. Well, that's what he said. We all, even in Christ, we have a different kind of walk, but the walk is empowered by the Holy Spirit, Okay. So that's the first way that the the Greek is used here, the manner in which we walk. The second way in verse 25 when he says, keep in step with the Spirit, and I love this, it is the same idea of being empowered by the Spirit, but it means to line our lives up alongside of the Spirit of God. You see, the agenda here is that the Spirit wants our life to subsequently, whether it is the manner in which we walk or which, uh, the, the way in which we walk, that those two things would be aligned with the Spirit of God in our lives. So the Spirit of God, in other words, sets the agenda for how we behave, how we walk. In the New Testament, the most common word for walk is the Greek word that means behavior, your behavior. So your behavior even though you are unique, should line up with the Spirit of God. I was working on this message, and, and uh, in my, my front office, I have a, a, a family gallery like a lot of people do, and I started thinking about a particular picture that I have. Uh, it was taken of my daughter and me back when, I guess she was a freshman in college at Auburn, 
And this, I guess my wife snapped the picture. I, I don't know, but it's framed, and it's one of my favorites. And she and I are walking in front of Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn, and she is holding my hand. Uh, she's holding my left hand, and in her left hand, she has her shoes. She's taken her shoes off, and she's walking barefooted, and we're walking together, and my wife evidently snapped it from behind, it's just the coolest thing to me when I look at it because she's not, she's not back here. She's not up here. She's not trying to keep up with me. Uh, I'm not trying to catch up with her. But it is a picture of us walking side by side, and our, our, uh, and our walk is synchronized. And I love that because here's what it reminds us of. That is a picture of what God wants in your life with his Holy Spirit. He wants you walking. That's what it means in verse 25, to keep in step. Do you see that in your Bible? To keep in step. Not, you're not trying to catch up. You're not trying to outrun. You are walking lockstep uh, with the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit goes, you go. The students of Aristotle, the uh, philosopher, were called peripatetics. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but a peripatetic is really a fancy word for disciple. And they were called peripatetics because whatever Aristotle taught, they wrote down. Whatever Aristotle said, they believed. Wherever Aristotle went to teach, they went with him. They were fully devoted to whatever Aristotle was devoted to. Do you know that's the same language idea that Paul's giving us here? Is that God wants us to be fully devoted to the Spirit of God so that whatever the Spirit says, we hear. Whatever the Spirit teaches, we get. Wherever the Spirit goes, we go with Him. That is our specific exhortation. And now, I tell you this, three thoughts about it. It's deliberate. You, you, it is a deliberate path, it isn't a path that you just struggle on. You find Jesus, It's very clear. God wants you to know the path of his spirit. It's deliberate. God has put it in front of us so we can walk in it. This isn't a guessing game with God. This isn't some kind of cosmic, I hope you figure it out. And so there's a deliberate path. But I will tell you, it's not only deliberate, it's decisive too. Because God will not force you onto the path of his spirit. And you can affirm the Spirit, you can know all about the Spirit, and still not walk at the path of the Spirit. This is a deliberate choice, and it is decisive, because it makes all the difference. The path that you walk makes all the difference for your life forever. And so it is deliberate, it's decisive. I'll tell you something else, it's demonstrable. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, go back to verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, don't miss this. Well, here's one of the things he's saying. If you walk in the, the flesh, you're going to manifest characteristics of the flesh. Just like if you walk in the Spirit, you're going to manifest the characteristics of the Spirit. It is demonstrable. And by the way, when the flesh manifests itself in your life, you generally don't have to tell people, well, this is the flesh. You know it, and they know it. And by the way, when the Spirit, as we'll talk about in a future message, when the Spirit manifests in your life, you don't have to say, I'm, I'm full of the Spirit. In fact, if you have to tell somebody you're full of the Spirit, you're not full of the Spirit. You know, Margaret Thatcher, a great leader in the United Kingdom years ago, said this, if you have to tell them you're a lady, you're not. And the fact is, the manifestation of the Spirit should be so obvious, just like the manifestation of the flesh. And so, it, it's demonstrable. Um, if you remember the story of Pentecost, you know, the disciples, uh, Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit of God fell on that place. You know, that was the first time anybody had really seen a wholesale kind of manifestation of the Spirit on the people of God. In fact, it was the first time the people of God had seen it. And you may remember, if you've read that story, you may remember that the outsiders who were watching what had happened, do you remember what they said? They said, these people are drunk. These people are drunk. Look at them. Now, let me help you understand what's going on there. 
they didn't know how to describe the manifestation of the Spirit. The only thing they understood was that when people got drunk, the influence of alcohol changed their behavior, right? So what they're doing is saying something has happened to these people and it has changed their behavior. It doesn't mean they went, went nutso and wild and partying. All. That's not at all what it means. It just means for observers outside, they say something significant has influenced them. And the only thing we've seen that, that has that kind of influence changing the way a person uh, acts, behaves, thinks, talks is alcohol. And so when they saw the Spirit of God, they said, wow, something has influenced them. Paul wants us to understand that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes us. It influences us. Now listen to this statement. The responsibility of the Holy Spirit is not to occupy you. Now listen. Because that's what we sometimes say, well, he that has the Spirit belongs to God, and that's true. The Spirit is given as a seal on our salvation. But listen to me very carefully. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to occupy your life. The role of the Holy Spirit is to dominate your life. Not just to exist as a testimony to your salvation, though that's not a bad thing, but the role of the Holy Spirit is to totally occupy you for victory. It's about victorious domination, not just simple occupation. One of the reasons I believe we don't see more power being expressed when we pray for people is we've settled for occupation when the Spirit of God came for domination. And so, this is what Paul is trying to help us get. And frankly, if you don't yield to the Spirit's control, you're going to live a lackluster spiritual life your entire life if you don't yield to the Spirit's control in your life. The second thing I want to show you is our sinful explanation. We see it in verse 17, verses 19 through 20, again, a verse we've already read. But what is our sinful explanation? Well, he gives it to us. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. That's a statement of fact. It's, it's not a here's an idea kind of thing or here's a thought. It is a statement of fact. And if you will, for just a moment, get a picture in your mind of a tug-of-war. Have you all ever participated in a tug-of-war before? And uh, that, that's the idea that's going on here. There is a tug-of-war, a spiritual tug-of-war going on in your life. And the Bible makes that uh, uh, very clear. Did you know Paul was well-versed in this? You say, yeah, for us. No, did you know he understood it in a very personal way? With your Bible still open, why don't you uh, flip over and find the the book of Romans chapter 7. I want to show you something. I want you to follow along with me. It's a very interesting passage, but when we read it, you're going to go, I get that. I sure get that. Well, Paul is describing in Romans 7 verses 14 and following, he is describing the personal reality of this tug of war, this, this explanation for why do I sin? Why do I do things that I know I shouldn't do or that God uh, has enabled me to, uh, to resist? Why do I do that? Well, he explains it right here. Are you there? Follow along with me. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. By the way, just look at me at this. The law serves a purpose. God's law serves a purpose. The purpose is it shows us our spiritual condition. If there were no law, Paul said, then I wouldn't know I was a sinner. And that's right, right? One of the things we see happening in our world today is to try to undermine a moral law. Do you know why that is? Because when you can undermine moral law, you can make up your own law. And you can live by your own rules. And so Paul, Paul is, uh, is saying, look, we, the law is spiritual. It serves a purpose. And then he goes on, follow along. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. There we go, back to the idea. I know what I want to do, I just don't seem to, to do it. And he goes on and says, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I, I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. In other words, that it's proving how, what a sinner I am. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Hello? That is in my flesh. Remember that old system. For I have the desire to do what is right. I want to do what is right, but I don't seem to have the ability to carry it out. For I I, I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Hello? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. I I, I delight in wanting to do what God wants inside in my inner being. But I see that in my members another law is waging war, that tug of war, see, against the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he concludes this way, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's saying living in the flesh is going to kill me. Who will deliver me? And then he, thank God, he answers the question. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what I love about the passage is I love Paul's honesty. Because I bet everybody in this room could write those verses out in some form or fashion. Would you agree with that? Lord, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Why do I I do the things I know you don't want me to do? And God, I have a desire. And by the way, that goes back to the want to. If you are in Christ, you should have at bare minimum a desire to obey God. God, I want to do the right thing. But there's this war going on, he says, in my members that fight against it. And so I keep seeming to lose the battle. He says, how will I find victory? How will I, I conquer this? And then he says, only through Jesus Christ. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier. The reason Jesus Christ died on the cross is so you could experience victory. Cursed is everyone, the Bible says, who hangs on a cross. But this battle never ceases. And you know, the Bible teaches us in this battle that our enemy has three components. Number one is there is the world. That, as one preacher put it this way, I like how he said it. He said, that's our external enemy. And much like the flesh, when we use the word world here, we're not talking about the physical world, we're talking about the world system, the worldview. You know, everybody in this room has a worldview. I don't have time to talk about that today, but your worldview makes all the difference in how you respond to God. And that worldview, and, and the, the Bible teaches us that the devil is the prince and power of this air, and that he is constantly trying to advance a worldview which is anti-God and get you to, to, to swallow it. By the way, that's why you need to understand the Word of God. It gives you the right worldview. Otherwise, if you are not careful, what will happen to you is exactly what Paul talked about in Romans 12 when he said, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. See, the world agenda is to get you to say, what does the world believe out there? I'm often puzzled by how many Christians allow a worldview outside of the Scripture to set their Christian ideas of how the world ought to operate. And listen, I want to say we're seeing that on an unprecedented scale in this country, and really it's been happening in Europe for, for decades. And it's a very dangerous thing because there's only one legitimate worldview, and that is God's worldview. And so Christians, as Christians, we must be so cautious that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can discern the agenda of the world. Does that make sense? He says there's a second component to our enemy, the Bible teaches us at least, and that is the flesh, the world, and then the flesh. Now, we've talked about that already. I told you if the world is our external enemy, the flesh is our internal enemy. And it's working inside of us to undermine our devotion to God, to prevent us from obeying, as he said in verse 17, from doing the things we ought to do. It is, it is operating, our, our flesh is operating to try to get us to rebel against anything that God wants in your life. And so that's a second kind of foe, you might say. And then there, the Bible teaches there's a third, and that is the devil himself. 
And, and if the first is our external enemy and the second is our internal enemy, the third, the devil, is our infernal enemy. And he's really kind of the coordinating mastermind. By the way, these don't work independently. They, they coincide. They work together. The world uh, accentuates the flesh. The flesh accentuates the agenda of the world. And the devil is behind it all. And we need to be careful because he's very, 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 very powerful. In fact, Peter said it this way, uh, be sober-minded because your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can destroy. He's always trying to take you down. That's, again, why you have to be full of the Spirit so you can discern his tactics and his, uh, his approach and his schemes. So we have these, uh, the, this threefold kind of uh, enemy working uh, against us and trying to undermine the uh, work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit always working overtime. And I I think it is safe to say that right now we're watching the devil work uh, at a level that I've never seen in my ministry. He's working to destroy uh, so many believers spiritually. I I think he's working to destroy this nation. I think he's working to destroy the church of God. And frankly, the only hope for us is a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives personally. Uh, there's an old Cherokee legend. Because here's the question that we want to ask. So who will win? Who will win this battle? Now, I want to tell you something. God has never lost a battle. God has never lost a battle. There's some sheep that have run off. But God has never lost a battle. You need to know that. And we know how this story all plays out. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be some heartache and pain and suffering and difficulty. It doesn't mean that along the the journey that there may be those who say, hey, as John said, they went out from among us because they were never really one of us. And and I think it's an interesting day. I think they're an interesting battle. But so who wins? Well, we know who wins. But there's an old Cherokee legend that I read years ago. I've used it over the years in It goes like this. There was a Cherokee chieftain, and he was walking through the woods with his grandson. And uh, they're having a conversation, and he decides it's time for this uh, this grandson to begin to understand this battle, you know, uh, between uh, light and darkness, and we would say in spiritual terms, between the devil and God himself. And so he wants to illustrate that, and he says to his grandson, he says, son, there are two wolves trying to eat in your life. And he said, one of the wolves is evil. It's characterized by evil. It's characterized by darkness and anger and hatred, hostility. Those are all uh, uh, the characteristics of that wolf. It's evil. And there's another uh, wolf in your life, and that wolf is characterized by love and uh, justice and kindness and and mercy and grace and all of those sorts of impatience. And you just need to understand, he said, even now as a young As a young man, you can feel the pull of those things, I know. And he said, I have felt it as an old man all my life. They walked a little further in the wood, and then the grandson stopped and he said, Granddad, my question is, which wolf wins? To which his grandfather said, the one that you feed. The one that you, that's what Paul is saying here. There are these conflicting natures, and the one you feed will be the one that wins in your life. I ask you this morning are you feeding the spirit or are you feeding the flesh? Because the one you feed determines what God does and can do in your life. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. I want you to notice also our spiritual exoneration. Verse 18 is a great verse. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, this whole idea of walking in the Spirit, being in step with the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, if you are under the influence of the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. Now, I talked about the law just a moment ago, but let me just give you a couple of clarifying statements right here. Paul's statement is simple. He's not nullifying the value of the law. He's already in Romans. He tells us how important the law is, what it does, how it helps us come to terms with our own sinful nature. So he's not nullifying the law, but rather what he's doing here is he's affirming the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, when you and I, when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't devalue the law, but what the Spirit does is he will lead us in a way that does not conflict with the law. So the Spirit will always lead us in a way that does not conflict with the law. And in, in that sense, he is more powerful in his influence in our life than just responding to the law. Oh, I didn't do this. I should have done this. But the Spirit enables us to live in victory beyond the law. In fact, if you were to go to Romans 8, just jot this down. You can go look at it later. I'll share it with you. Romans 8, verse 2 and following says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now go back and read that passage later on, but let me suffice to say this. Within the kingdom universe... There is a law so important that God himself has designated it as the law of the Holy Spirit. It is called in Romans 8 the law of the spirit of life, and in it comes the freedom from the law because we can't satisfy the law, but he has. And very simply, what's meant by this law is that life is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's all in Jesus. It's a spiritual law that is manifest to us by the Holy Spirit through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross to bring victory over sin. And it's only in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. You see, within Christ, this spirit of life brings about the very energy that we need to live victoriously. And so it's very important that we understand that one of the purposes of being filled with the Holy Spirit is so that we can live victoriously over the law that constantly tries to condemn us. And that's what Paul wants us to know, um, found only in Christ. Now, no man has ever kept the law. No, not even close. The, the best human has failed uh, miserably at keeping the law and come far short of God's glory. It's why the Bible says this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. It says this, the prophet said, our, our righteousness, your best, on your best day, your righteousness is like a filthy rag before God. Because the standard is perfection. So we needed what Christ did applied to us by the Spirit of God that gives us victory over the law which brings condemnation. All flesh dies physically and spiritually. And because that's true, righteousness and life cannot come by the law. But what the law could not do, the Spirit of God was able to do. And that's why Paul calls it the law of the life of the Spirit. The Spirit is able to do what we can never do by ourselves: Provide us righteousness and provide us life. So let me close with something. And I want to close as I was working on this message. I got to thinking, so why is it so important that our lives be lined up with the Holy Spirit? Why is it so important that you and I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I just, I just wrote down a list of things, and let me just sh share them with you. First of all, we must stay in line with the Spirit of God because your spiritual well-being depends on it. Your, your spiritual well-being depends on it. Your, personally, your spiritual well-being depends on living under the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the more your flesh thrives, 
the less connection you're going to have to God, the less you're going to hear promptings of the Spirit of God, the less wisdom and direction that you will have for navigating this world and the challenges of this world and this age, and the less manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, all of those, the less of those you'll experience. Your spiritual well-being depends upon being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why Paul wrote these words to the church. But a second reason that it's so important to stay in line with the Spirit is because, now listen, your family is too important to miss out on God's spiritual influence through your life. Let me say that again. Why should you stay under the influence of the Spirit? Because your family is too important to miss out on the influence of God through your life. You know, our marriages demand it. Our, our children and our grandchildren demand it. They're watching us. Uh, and they're having to decide, is, uh, is the life of surrender to the Spirit that my parents are, are living does it show a contrast between what I'm being told and taught out in the world? Your children demand it. They're watching. They are learning. Look, they're making choices, and they take those cues from what you are doing, from how you are living, by your worldview, by your opinions, and what we put in our minds, and what comes out of our mouth. That's why you need to align your life with the Spirit of God. Your family is too important to miss the message of God through your life. I'll tell you third, we must stay in line with the Spirit because our church is dependent on it. I think now more than ever, now more than ever, we need men and women of God. We need students, single adults, and families that will not compromise they will not sell out, that will not bend the knee to the idols of this world, nor fear-speaking truth regarding cultural lies and sinful behavior that undermines the message of God. We need the church people that are tuned into God, obedient to the Word of God, and living under the absolute undisputed influence of the Spirit of God. And listen, while I'm saying it, we need teachers that are teaching the biblical message. We need preachers who refuse politically correct renditions of the gospel. And we need prophets to rise up from among us proclaiming and saying, thus says God Almighty. And then we need believers that are living out the giftedness of God. That's why we have to stay under the influence of the Spirit of God. A fourth reason we must stay in line with the Spirit is because the kingdom of God deserves it, not just our churches. Walking in the Spirit must turn our eyes to the eternal King. Walking in the Spirit must turn our hearts toward God's mission and, listen, the future of everything. Our King who died for us, deserves our utmost devotion. Our King who died for us deserves our most supreme loyalty. And listen, even if that cost us prominence, and if it cost us comfort, and if it cost us respectability, and if it cost us acceptability, our King deserves it. We owe it to the one who died for us. And then fifth, we must stay in line with the Spirit because our community and our nation depend on it. They don't even know that. They don't even know that. The God of this world, the Bible says, has blinded their eyes. They don't, and what they don't need, listen, they don't need more busy shallow, disengaged, worldly-looking Christians 
who don't have anything much different to offer them than what the world has already shown them. They don't need that. They don't need to see uh, those who confess Christ who are far more like them, driven by natural desires, driven by comfort, driven by lust and popularity. Listen, what they need is to see the fresh wind and the fresh power of God Almighty flowing through our lives, flowing in fully devoted followers to Christ who have taken seriously the command to come out from among them and be different. The hour is late, and there are many in our culture and many right around us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces that are groping about, trying to find peace and trying to find hope and trying to find resolve to the things that this world will never solve for them. They are like the words of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 8 and verse 20, who said, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. And I tell you, our community is not going to find it in religion. They're not going to find it in us unless we are full of the Holy Spirit of God, living distinctively different lives that reveal that Jesus Christ really is the answer and the Holy Spirit really is the secret. Y'all believe that? Say amen. amen. That's what they need to see from us. Not more of them. They need to see more of Him. Amen. And then I close by telling you we must stay in line with the Spirit because if you are worn and weary as a believer, and there are some that are watching us by live stream, but there are some sitting in this room, and you are worn and weary, and if you are worn and weary believer, you need to stay in line with the Spirit because you need the refreshment that only the Holy Spirit of God can bring in your life. You need refreshment from trying to serve God in your own strength. You need refreshment having lost your first love and your passion for God. You are in need of power. There are people in this room. There are people watching. And you're in need of the power that only the Spirit of God and His anointing can bring to your life to help you face today, to help you face tomorrow, to help you face your fears, to help you face the fatigues of this life. You're worn and weary. And some of you have lost the joy of the Lord. That's a spiritual matter. Have you lost your joy? Have you forgotten how it felt when the Holy Spirit brought delight into your heart? Do you, re do you remember? Have you lost that? You know, when, when the Spirit of God, you couldn't get enough of God. You couldn't get enough of the Word of God. It, you, it burned inside of you, the presence of the Spirit of God, and yet you've been robbed. You remember the power the enthusiasm, the joy of just being with God, just gathering to worship God, serving God in any capacity. It's a spiritual problem. And listen, I tell you that because it can only be fixed by the Spirit, by the filling of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? How, how does it happen? Well, it might surprise you to hear this from a preacher. As important as sermons are, it won't start there. It doesn't happen there. You see, if sermons delivered people from their sins and their addictions, we'd probably be a very holy people. But sermons and Bible studies, as good as they are, but if they lack the, the Holy Spirit's anointing and the impact of the body of Christ, they produce no lasting results. And, and that's the reason that there are so many believers that go for years with very little spiritual progress, very little emotional and spiritual development continue in their lives. They continue to struggle with the same sins. They continue to struggle with the same behavior patterns. And they continue to struggle with the same inner and outer conflicts that they have struggled with for years. Why? Because they have not yet yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. How does it happen? How does it happen? It's a work of the Spirit's control. And a surrendering and allowing. That word surrender is so huge if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Because it's all about emptying yourself. And when we empty ourselves, guess what we do? We put ourselves in the lane of his leadership. You know, there are people watching us, I suspect, and in this room. If you're honest, you'd say, I've lost peace with God. I'm missing the peace with God. I know I've experienced it, and I know what it's like, but but it's not there, and the power and the peace are not connected. Do you know the Bible says there's a peace that passes all understanding? It's spiritual peace. The peace the world gives is temporary. It's just a temporary thing, and it is all circumstantial. It depends on how you feel today. You know, if things are working well, okay. That is not the peace that Jesus died for you to have, and it is not the supernatural peace of the Spirit of God ruling over your life. There was a man named Nicodemus reading about him, studying him this week. There's a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, by many scholars' attestation, he was the chief Pharisee in Israel. He was the teacher of the teachers. The Bible tells us in John 3 that there was an occasion where Nicodemus, by night, he came to see Jesus. He'd been watching Jesus. They all had. You know, they'd been trying to catch him. Jesus. And he comes by a cover of darkness because he didn't want his buddies to know that he had this inquiry about Jesus. And the Bible says that he comes to Jesus in the darkness and Jesus meets with him and he makes this affirming statement to Jesus. He said, Master or Rabbi, we know that you are from God because no one could do the things that you do if he weren't from God. And Jesus cuts to the chase. Jesus doesn't go, you're getting real close. He didn't say, yeah, I, can, I, I, I see how you arrived at that. Jesus doesn't do that. You know what he says? He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus came because he didn't have peace. He knew there was something more that he was missing. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I know you're from God. I, I'm, I'm interested. What needs to transp- uh, uh, transpire in my life? And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. And to the rational mind, Still to this day, that doesn't make sense. It, 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 how can a man go back into his mother's womb? And be, that's what Nicodemus asked. It might be what many people today would How in the world? That's crazy. And Jesus said this. He says, unless you be born of water and the Spirit. He says, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about a, spirit, uh, a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. And there are various different interpretations of the water. Uh, I I don't believe, for reasons I don't have time to go into, it has anything to do with water baptism, but it is a connection between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And he says, that's how it happens. You've got to be born again, and you've got to be born of, of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We believe with our heart. We believe the Word, Paul said, and we confess with our mouth. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus. I'm hopeful that we'll see him in the kingdom one day. But I'll tell you, his question is still the question of the ages. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? You see, because without the peace of God, you'll never experience the power of the Spirit of God. Paul said in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Can I ask you this morning, are you walking in the power of the Spirit of God because you have established peace with God? If not, today is the day to get it all right. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking about uh, in this place. The band is going to come. And I just want to challenge you, those who are watching my live stream, those live in this building, if today you say, I need the peace of God. My peace has been circumstantial. I want the peace that comes through personal relationship with Jesus. And right now, I want to call on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In your heart, saved in your heart of heart right now, would you echo a prayer to God like this? Lord Jesus, I know who you are. 
I know what you did. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. I thank you that you have made the way crystal clear. And today, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and give me peace with God. I so long for it and so desire to walk rightly with you. I receive you as my Savior, as my Lord, and my Master. There are others in this place today, and you've established your peace with God a long time ago, but somewhere along this course, you have wandered off the path of power. And it's time for the power of God to be restored in your life. You're tired of the dry motions, of just playing the, the, the motions, just acting like the bells are ringing when it's not. And you want the new, fresh filling of the power of the Spirit of God, not just to occupy you any longer, but to dominate you. You want to hear again the voice and the promptings of the Spirit of God. You want to know His presence in everything. And you need to surrender freshly today to Him. Would you call out to Him in your heart of hearts, whether you're watching by live stream, television, in this auditorium, and would you say, God, I cry out to you. I look to you from whence comes my help. Fill me up. Empower me anew with your Holy Spirit. Lord, let me walk again under the mighty leading of your Spirit. Let me see again with spiritual eyes. Lord, you have access to all of me. No matter what it is, the things I've withheld from you, I give to you. The areas of disobedience, I surrender to you. The loss of love and passion for you, I pray that you would restore to me and restore the joy of my salvation. Lord, let me experience the fresh wind and fresh power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.